0: Good afternoon, everyone. Amen. It's a pleasure for us to be here. We bring the warm greetings from the Morrison Old Paz Ecclesia. All of all the members are here with us this weekend. <laughs> so we are truly blessed to be able to be here with you. And my topic is the Feast of Trumpets. It's the fall feast, but we'll lead off today with the Feast of Trumpets and very timely feast, all of them are. And of course, as Brother Ken uh, readily found out, there is so much information in each and every one of these feasts that to try to do it complete justice in the short time allotted uh, is not really justice at all to the topic. There's so much breadth and depth to it. And so our goal will be to try to highlight some of those pertinent points. Obviously, we will not cover all those points But we want to try to bring some points that resonate um, and uh, the ones that have resonated with me I will be sharing with you all. So to begin our study with the trumpets this afternoon, it's important to establish an overriding context or a theme. Uh, Brother Roth has uh, assisted us with a good um, identification of a progression and uh, it is a progression of the redemptive or glorification process of Yahweh. Now, The word progression is defined as an act of moving forward, progressing, a continuous or connected series of events, steps, or a sequence. And all of this is relevant for our study. And the theme now for us is we're in the seventh religious month, which is the first of the civic month of the Jewish calendar, but we're in the seventh time period, And it's uh, very important as it relates to man's glorification. And there are two phases or aspects to this. One is the natural, and of course, the second is the spiritual. So as you look at the highlighted circle on the left part of the screen there, there were three important feasts that occurred in the seventh month in Israel. And they taught the divine purpose of redemption. This year, the first, Rosh Hashanah, which means Head of the Year, uh, which is the Feast of Trumpets, or the Memorial Blowing of the Trumpets, which is uh, probably a better rending, was on Thursday, September 9th. Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, or the Day of Coverings, followed on Saturday the 18th. And Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, took place on Friday the 24th. And as we already mentioned, the seventh month, uh, is the seventh month of the Jewish religious year, and it's uh, called, uh, you know, there's, in, in, in the contemporary month, it's Tisri, but it's also the uh, first month of the civic year. Now, the seventh month, of course, leads our attention to the seventh millennium, or the 7,000th year. It was also the first month of the Jewish civil year, indicated the end of harvest and the commencement of the new year, Or Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year, or beginning of the new year. It was heralded with memorial blowing of the shofar horn, which drew the people's attention to the beginning of the year, and the impending day of atonement. Rosh Hashanah signifies the beginning of the months. It was the time that Ezra read the law before the people who had returned from the Babylonian captivity. And we'll look at that because there's a very powerful effect of the reading of the law on the people And it's something that evoked emotional response is something that we need to pay attention to. Antitypically, it represents the return of Yahshua, the lawgiver from heaven who will gather his saints from the four winds to prepare them for the joy of the kingdom. And it will witness the dramatic resurrection of the dead and the gathering for judgment. But before the joy of the kingdom is experienced, the redeemed must pass through the purifying of judgment, And on the 10th of the 7th month came the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. The people on this day were instructed to afflict their souls. It's a very solemn day. It's a very sobering day, a very humbling day. For Yom Kippur was the day in the calendar year of Israel in which the high priest took the sacrifices of the nation into the most holy place of the tabernacle. The national judgment was crucial to Israel's standing before Yahweh. And for which the people gathered outside, waited in hope of the divine excuse me, acceptance in forgiveness and reconciliation that came with the reemergence of the high priest. And of course, the anti-type is going to be Christ. The third feast, which Lord willing, we will look at tomorrow uh, in conjunction with the Day of Atonement, is the Feast of Tabernacles, known also as the Feast of Booths. And it's from the Hebrew word S-U-K-K-O-T. And it was a joyous occasion, celebrated on the 15th day of the 7th month. It first occurred when Israel was drawn out of Egypt and brought through the Red Sea on their journey to the Promised Land. During that time, they dwelt under booths, uh, booths or boughs of trees, speaking of living in harmony with the Creator, this dwelling or tabernacling with Yahweh. It was an autumn festival, the fruit having been, uh, been already gathered in. And the type is Israel is the harvest of Yahweh, gathered in from the fields of Egyptian burden, or called from out of the world. And at this time, preparations for a new harvest was made. The antitypical tabernacle spoken of in Zechariah 14:16 described the glorious millennium when the harvest of the future, during this hidden Olam period, or the kingdom age, planted by the law of Yahweh from out Zion, will be revealed, harvested, And the eradication of flesh, complete when Yahweh will be all in all in that eighth day. And we'll look at that as well. So this is our introduction to the fall feast. And so let's begin with the first of the three, the Feast of Trumpets, which is also known as the memorial blowing of the trumpets. The seventh month points to completeness, finality, finish, and therefore the end of Yahweh's work. The first day of the month... As the day of the day of the new moon was already under the law, a monthly observance. But in the seventh month, it had additional significance. Israel were commanded to observe it as a Sabbath, a memorial blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation, or gathering of the people for a specific purpose. In convocation, holy convocation means gathering together for divine worship. They were to assemble in endorsement of the special offerings to be made in the tabernacle that day. Now let's look at some of the specifics of this feast. The first day of the seventh month, Tishri, denoted or was identified by the appearance of a new moon. Since seven is the complete number, it is suggestive of the millennial age or the 7,000-year period. That will culminate in the completion of God's work with mortal man upon the earth. The first day of the seventh month then symbolizes the beginning of the restored kingdom of Yahweh under the leadership of Jesus, the greater son of David. The duration was a single day or a one day duration for this feast. It was designated a Sabbath. And the word Sabbath is the Hebrew "Sabbathon" and indicates a special festival of rest in harmony with the Almighty God. The fifth point is, is that ye shall do no servile work there, a ceasing of the works of the flesh and dedication to the works of Yahweh. And here's an interesting point from Law and Grace. This in practical moral terms meant that each Israelite was to realize afresh that he had been called to sinlessness, to utter liberty from the thraldom of sin. No month could have been a more appropriate occasion for giving this reminder than the seventh month, seven being the covenant number, and the man himself a member of the covenant people. The sixth point, it was to be a memorial blowing of the trumpets. There is no word for trumpets in the original Hebrew. It is added to the statement as implied. The Hebrew word teruah signifies a shouting or a clamor of acclamation from a root word signifying to split the ears. There is no reason to doubt that the day was distinguished by the blowing of the shofar trumpet, a trumpet made out of the horns of an animal, or shaped in that way. Such a trumpet trumpet, gave a harsh, strident tone calculated to arouse attention as it clapped upon the ears, rather than a calm, um, soothing tone. It is designated a memorial because it called to mind the new beginning. Two horns were utilized in the blowing of the trumpets. And again, they were most likely shofar trumpets. We feel those are the most appropriate. Israel was commanded to memorialize the day and to keep the day as a Sabbath of rest. Additionally, on that day, or in addition to, or besides is the word out of Scripture, it required additional sacrifices. The heightening of the symbolism was effected, firstly, by declaring this day of new moon a Sabbath and a holy convocation. Secondly, by prescribing an additional offering of burnt offering and sin offering in order to duplicate those which were peculiar to the day. In any case, as a new moon festival. Thirdly, by automatically increasing the amount of trumpet blowing through the multiple uh, or the multiplying of burnt offering so that the day, even among new moons, was preeminently a day of blowing the trumpets. So you can imagine this sound on the seventh month, on this Feast of Trumpets, was very unusual. Strident tones, quick call, a proclamation, announcing it would be different than previous months. And of course, each um, Feast of Trumpets commenced with the new moon, and each new month was in effect a fresh beginning Since the infant moon opened a new time cycle. It was therefore an appropriate time for Israel to remember its own beginning as a nation before God, and to rededicate itself to his service. It is suggestive of a time when God's people, Israel, shall again begin afresh under his laws and guidance. And we're drawn to the scripture, Isaiah 65, 17-19. And the prophet Isaiah speaks here: for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever and that which I create. for behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard, nor the voice of crying. Now brother Thomas gives us some excellent exposition on this aspect especially in regards to the moon. Because when we think of the moon, what type or what is represented by the moon in Scripture? Ecclesia. Exactly. And so when we put this into a future context, a future fulfillment, which this was representative of and was to teach, think upon these words. These new heavens will declare, this is from Eureka Volume 2, these new heavens will declare the glory of Ale." And their firmament, or aerial, his handiwork. Day into day will utter speech, and night to night shall show knowledge. And there will be no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their rule will go out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Paul has quoted these words in Romans 10:18 as predictive of the apostolic proclamation of the kingdom. There was great significance in such an application. For they who made the proclamation... Or think trumpet blast, will constitute the heavens that rule, the personal Son of Man on the throne of his glory, and the apostles on the thrones of David's house, with all the approved and glorified sharing in their administration, in the grand era of regeneration. Among them he sets a habitation for the Son, who is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit to the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Quoting from Psalms nineteen one 1-6, The bridegroom is the sun, and his bride the moon, and her distinguished companions the stars of the brilliant firmament, which will be displayed as the handiwork of the Spirit. When cooperating with them, he looks forth, as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. This is that new beginning that is some of the depth or deeper symbolism entailed in the Feast of Trumpets. It's announced with a proclamation, the sound of a trumpet, a blast. We think of Christ and the saints, the sun and the moon, Christ with spiritual Israel. There are three unique aspects of this Feast of Trumpets. First, it was declared a Sabbath or a holy convocation. Second, it required burnt and sin offerings in addition to the monthly and daily sacrifices or offerings. And the third point, the additional burnt offering caused additional blowing of trumpets, which truly made it a special day of the blowing of the trumpets. Now let's look further into some of our exposition on this feast. Trumpets played an important part in the daily life of Yahweh's people. Part of the tabernacle equipment was two silver trumpets to be blown by the sons of Aaron, the priests, for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. The instructions were specific as to do what for each occasion. The blowing of two horns brought the whole assembly to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The blowing of one horn called the princes, which are the heads of the thousands of Israel, to gather themselves unto Moses. When the camps were to be set in motion, an alarm was blown by the use of a trumpet. One alarm for the east camps, a second alarm for the south camps, and so forth for the west and the north. And also when they went to war against the enemy that oppressed them, they were to blow an alarm with the trumpets. The purpose of blowing the alarm in this instance is stated, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Now, Barling from Law and Grace, excuse me, Law and Grace gives us a, uh, I thought, real good exposition here on this topic, and you shall be remembered. The word remembered is linked to the, to the word memorial. And Barling expands the thought for us. The trumpets had to be blown over the burnt offering and the peace offering for a specific purpose, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. For a memorial, the phrase virtually interprets itself. But there is no doubt whatsoever as to its meaning when we note the contents of the previous verse. From Numbers 10, verse 9. There we find the command of the priest to blow an alarm with the trumpets. If you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you... With the added promise, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. The juxtaposition of the two ordinances is most enlightening. In each case, an appeal was made to God to be mindful of his people. Remember, in the one, because of their struggle against a literal oppressor, and in the other, because of their strife with a more sinister foe still, namely sin, the literal being once again the sign and symbol of the spiritual. In both cases, Israel called upon God to save them as his children from the common enemy. This they had to do through the priests because the latter so naturally served as an objective representation of the whole priestly people. So what do we gather from the blowing of the trumpets other than being a memorial to Israel before their God? David no doubt had the sign, or excuse me, had the sound of the trumpets in mind when he said, blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. And really, there's emphasis here on know, know the meaning, or remember, or understand. As in Nehemiah 8, it's to give the sense, the meaning of of the law, of God's word. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. In the 98th Psalm, we find that a joyful no- noise into the Lord is associated with the remembrance of his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel and the salvation of their God. Israel was admonished. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of song. With trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Some have aligned this day, this blowing of the trumpets, this feast of trumpets, as commemorative of the beginning of time when the angels shouted for joy at the completion of creation. From Job 38:7, this, it is suggested, is limited, or excuse me, imitated by the trumpet sound that was heard on that day. And we might look at that. This, of course, is quoting from the original Hebrew in the King James. It gives us a little bit less, but I think all of these inferences are clearly meted out in this verse. And so what have we gathered from this? First of all, let's read this thirty-eight seven. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. We're going to see that this shouting or this proclamation aspect is tied closely to the sound of a trumpet. And so keep that in the back of your minds as, as we progress through this. We also think of the verse we read earlier in Isaiah sixty five, seventeen through nineteen. So since a joyful noise is associated with remembrance and mercy toward Israel and salvation of Yahweh, what is the sound that then carries this message? Paul helps us with the answer by his words. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes verily, their sound went into all the earth and their works unto the ends of the world. And also Paul speaking in or to the ecclesia uh, in Thessalonians, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. So the joyful sound of the trumpet then symbolizes the good news or glad tidings of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And this will be applicable in the day of Jesus' return. Rosh Hashanah, therefore, typically points forward to the establishment of a new world order under Christ. If the same principle as is applied in the earlier verses also applies here, the opening of the Hebrew New Year, or the seventh month of the Jewish uh, religious year, Tishri, approximately September and October for us, could well be the set time, or as was brought out earlier uh, by Brother Ken, appointed time, established by Yahweh for the return of Christ. And certainly, in 1 Thessalonians 4:16, Paul aligns the return of the Lord with the memorial of blowing of trumpets. And how so? It is designated a memorial because it called to mind a new beginning. If we look at the context of Leviticus 23, and if you look at verse 24, it is listed, or it listed the New Year's Day among the set times reserved by Yahweh for a special purpose. What prophetic application does it have? Paul taught, quote, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Again, we have this term. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 At this trump, a holy convocation will be assembled. A special gathering together for a specific purpose. This is a set and appointed time. Issued in by the sound of a trump, the shouting, a proclamation. Antitypically, that place will take place at the re- or that event will take place at the return of the Lord, when the figurative sounding of the trumpet will raise the covenant to dead, and will gather living saints to Sinai for judgment. Paul wrote, "We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him." 2 Thessalonians two one, He thus taught that there will be a gathering of saints at the coming of the Lord. As we also see from Psalm 50, verse 5, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. In an additional note here, the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the new year, set forth in the law, was not to the Hebrews a time of Ribbled revelry and that's those are not my own words. so we'll, normally you won't hear me say those words together. that's from HP. Mansfield. but this is an important point and I'll read that again. It was not to the Hebrews a time of ribald revelry as it is to the Gentiles, but a celebration of deepest, most solemn religious import. The solemnity or solemnity with which it was viewed may be gauged with the solemnity with which believers anticipate the coming of the Lord. In ancient Israel, the new moon was normally announced by short blasts of the trumpet. But the new moon of the seventh month was celebrated by long blasts, emphasizing its solemnity and uniqueness among uh, uh, among months. And let's look at Nehemiah because this is the emotional effect that I had referred to earlier. If you look at verses 7 through 9, this is where we get this thought. And remember the context. These are the people coming back from Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra, and they are gathered together with the Levites, as we see in verse 7. And in verse 8, in front of the people, the law is beginning to be read, or has been read. And so they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly. And I'm starting with verse 8 of Nehemiah 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. So not only a reading of the law, but what does this mean? And here is the power of reading the law, especially, or most likely for people that had been become... uh, Distance from it for a time. Remember, 70 years in Babylon. And Nehemiah, which is the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And I'll read verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So here is what a deep reading of Yahweh's word should have on us. It is to realize the loftiness and the holiness of Yahweh. And to identify how distant we are from that. It is to truly understand our place next to our creator. It is to be humbled to realize what he has offered in terms of salvation and how holy and how he demands to be followed in holiness. And so a deep meditation upon the law, the word of God, is to draw this effect out. And the blowing of trumpets, or this feast of trumpets, was a preparation, a commencement of a preparation period for the day of atonement in which the people were to afflict their souls and to remember their sins and remember their standing before Yahweh. So this was not the joyous time. And we might think of ourselves as we go to the judgment seat, the Trump that will call us all there. I mean, this will be a sobering time. And there's two classes of people, which we will read about a little bit later for comments from Brother Roberts. Some will come to the judgment seat a bit Uh, as the word he uses, with effrontery, or a bit cocky. Look at all the things that I have done. And others will come humbly before. Um, Some will be disappointed that come with that attitude. So this was a call to remember not only their relationship with Yahweh as the chosen people, it was to start a new beginning, to refresh, And it was the commencement of a preparation period to the Day of Atonement, which was a day that they were commanded to afflict their souls. And the reading and the power of Yahweh's word, and let's not leave it totally in a solemn sense, for the counselors of Israel revealed to them the joy and the promise and the hope. But the effect is a solemn standing before Yahweh. In Christy Astray, Brother Robert says this, and he puts this gathering, um, he puts it in these terms The dead assembled for judgment are men and women in the flesh recovered from the grave, reproduced and made to stand again in the presence of their Lord and judge, to have it determined whether they are worthy of receiving the hidden manna of eternal life, for which they are all candidates, or deserving of reconsignment to corruption and death under the special solemn circumstance of rejection rejection by him who is altogether lovely. Thus, those who are alive when the Lord comes, and those that emerge from the grave are at that period, will be on a footing of perfect equality. They will all be gathered together into the one great presence for the great dread purpose of inquisition. Not until they hear the spoken words of the king will they know how it is to fare with them. All depends upon the account This can only be accurately estimated by the judge. A righteous man will tremble and underrate his position. On the other hand, the wicked may venture with coolness and effrontery before that August tribunal to recount with complacence and confidence the list of their claims to the Messiah's consideration. Have we not prophesied or preached in thy name, and in thy name done many wonderful works, in Exodus 19, 16 and also verse 19, the word of the Lord was spoken to all the people and the message was preceded by the blowing of the trumpets. All Israel was gathered before the mount to hear the message of their God. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long, again, a long blast, and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a a voice. This message was spoken to all Israel, just as the everlasting gospel will be spoken to all the peoples of the earth in the Midheaven gospel. And that brings us to our section, the Midheaven gospel, which is the angel proclamation in heaven. As we we look at this, we'll quote from some of the verses here in Revelation chapter 14. And I saw another angel flying in mid heaven, having Aeonian good news to proclaim to those who dwell upon the earth. Even every nation and tribe and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear the deity, and give to him glory, for the hour of his judgment hath arrived. And do homage to him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and fountains of waters, under the Mosaic Law, which is the pattern of things in the heavens, the Pentecostian Feast of fruits of the third month was succeeded in the first day of the seventh month by the memorial blowing of the trumpets, a Sabbath of holy convocation, inviting to a holy rest and assembly. Between this memorial and the offering of an offering made by fire unto Yahweh was an interval of ten days. This tenth day of the seventh month was Yom Kippur, a day of coverings, a day of which the sins of the past were being covered over by fiery expiation. In the English version, this is styled the Day of Atonement. But before this day of affliction, in which all who did not afflict themselves on account of their transgressions were to be cut off from Yahweh's people, people, the trumpets blew a memorial blast to remind the people that the hour or month of the annual judgment and covering over of sins had arrived. And so, this truly brings our attention to this topic before us the Midheaven Gospel. The sons of Aaron, the priests, were appointed to blow the trumpets in the day of their gladness, in their solemn days, over their burnt offerings and over their sacrifices of peace offerings. The antitype of this arrangement is found in the 14th chapter of Revelation. The Pentecost is celebrated in the inauguration of the deity's kings and priests on Mount Zion, the bread of the firstfruits. Then comes the memorial proclamation through mid heaven by these priests of the deity, reminding the world that the hour of judicial retribution so long threatened has arrived, and inviting men to afflict their souls and turning from their iniquities to the reverential fear and worship of him who made all things. When this proclamation had been made to the end of the world, the jubilee blast of the day of coverings or the day of atonement on the 10th day of the 7th month is then blown. It's a jubilee to Israel, proclaiming their return to their country and consequent avengement upon all their enemies. Those who worship the beast in his image and receive his sign in their foreheads or in their hands. This is the day of vengeance in the heart of the Lamb. Contemporary with the year of the redeemed. The works of which are detailed throughout the apocalypse. The angel who makes the memorial proclamation is symbolical of the royal priests of the Melchizedek household. The mosaic type required that the silver trumpets be blown by priests of the high priest family. But the priesthood being changed from the Aaronic, which priests are ineligible for the sounding of this proclamation in midheaven, now changed to spiritual Israel. Hence the priestly trumpeters have to be provided from another source. And there is no other source of supply but the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus, whom he has made kings and priests for the deity. The proclamation is therefore made by as many of the 144,000, which is a symbolical number, as the work to be formed may demand. Among these will be the Apostle John, as representative of a class. In the 10th chapter, he tells us that after he had digested the little scroll of judgment, the spirit told him that he must prophesy again before many peoples and tongues and nations and kings. To do this, he must rise from the dead, be judged and quickened so that he will be fitted for the work. But it is too much for one man to accomplish in the short space allotted for this proclamation. (laughs) Others of like qualifications were, there, were therefore be associated with him in this work so that, so that it may be carted on in different countries at the same time. The apostles had their collaborating attendants and subordinates when they sounded the gospel trumpet in old time. And so in the new proclamation, the same condition may, may obtain. But this as it may, or be this as it may, it is, quote, those that escape or the saved remnant that are sent As sounders of the truth to the nations that have not heard the fame nor seen the glory of Yahweh, and they shall declare his glory to the Gentiles, from Isaiah 66, 19. This is the multitudinous, or the plurality, represented by the angel. One messenger, emblematic of a multitude, and as it is written... bring that back up here in a minute. As it is written from Psalm 6811, Adonai or Adonai will give the word and those who bear the tidings are a great host. And so this is the duty or one of the duties that will be carried out by the multitudinous Christ is this midheaven gospel proclamation. Is that a good plug? (coughs) Yes. It went in an hour That says my battery is low. I'm just wondering if that's well. We'll just kind of continue like they did in days of old, without overheads. We're coming down to um, the final piece, and if we can get it back up, that'd be great. But the overhead that I wanted to use is the overhead from Eureka. It's the apocalyptic jubilee graphic, which you may have seen or referred to. It lays out the 10, 10, 10, the 50-year period. And so I'll describe it to you if you can picture that inside your head as a graphic of... um, a great symbol of what the Feast of Trumpets is, is referring to. The Trump that calls the covenant to dead, to judgment, at its beginning, that's that first 10-year period. And what really resonated with me, you know, for many years you go, how does how do Christadelphians get the notion of 10 years for judgment? That seems like such a long period of time. Um, can't judgment happen more quickly? You know, is it a rolling judgment? You have 10 years of judgment, and that really begins to make... One think, especially when you look at the verses in Psalms which say there, you know, Yahweh knoweth how to hide or cover his host. Uh, makes one think, you know, judgment can be happening for a number of years, and the rest of the world is not even going to know about it. But Yahweh works in process, and these feasts really lend us to understand timelines, set and appointed times. And so that helps us to understand this period of when christ will return there is a 10-year period and that 10-year period links or why we get that interpretation from the blowing of the trumpets on the first to the 10th day which is that day of atonement and so during this period we have resurrection we have judgment christ returns in a jubilee year we know this from hebrews we know this from leviticus 25 isaiah 61 the millennium commences 50 years later. So we have, there's quite a ramp up of events that need to happen before we have the Solomon peaceful kingdom type period, which is usher, ushered in or commences. We have 10 years for resurrection judgment, the uh, marriage supper. We have Armageddon meeting with Gog and the defeat of Gog. Then after that, we, we have Christ clearly Revealed and put on the throne of Yahweh in Jerusalem. We have the Midheaven Gospel going out. Then we have a 30-year period of the saints in the cherubim and Israel, natural Israel, as part of that battle axe, the goodly horse in battle, going into Catholic Europe. Those campaigns, that's a 30-year period. 10, 10, 30, and then we have this peaceful Solomon-type era of the kingdom beginning, as best as we can ascertain, 50 years after that. And the feasts have a great parallel and type to that. This period is divided into ten years personal and national judgment culminating in Armageddon based on the ten days from the sounding of the trumpet on the first of the seventh month to the Day of Atonement on the tenth. Forty years restoration and rebuilding of Israel. This period is divided into the conversion of Judah and the ultimatum to the nations. And we see that from Psalms 2, Isaiah 14, and out of Revelation 10 and also 14, a suggested period of 10 years. 30 years subjection of the Catholic countries, those campaigns into Europe, as we know from Zechariah, those cherubim going up uh, and into those areas. And also the restoration of all the 10 tribes, bringing all Israel together. The millennium comprises 1,000 years of peace, as we see from Revelation 20, verse 6. It will commence when all nations have been brought into subjection to Christ, and Israel has been completely restored. The temple in Jerusalem will then be open for worship for the first time, as we read in Ezekiel 43. So, without a graphic to kind of lead us through, that is the significance with some of the high points of the Feast of Trumpets, and a a trumpet sound and a blast which we are anxiously awaiting. That call the resurrection and judgment thank you. <clears throat>